0: Do not check your calendars, this is the Brisbane Football Review on a Monday. It's James Scott and Adam here from a very, very long distance away from one another in our own respective lairs as Brisbane's three-day lockdown comes to an end. And well, we decided to just record this show on the Monday, since all we've really got to talk about is the W League game and a whole lot of news. So, let's get right to it. Adam, how are you going? I'm good, especially uh, considering we survived
1: the three-day lockdown. Um... But uh, yeah, no. So we have at least some uh, have
0: some football to um, to talk about, even though we lost half of it. Yes, exactly. We do still have quite a bit to cover in this edition, Scott. But uh, how was your weekend? Stuck at home?
2: Uh, it's been absolutely fantastic. It's a different look, different code of football. I wouldn't be mind talking about at the moment. But you would. You, it's <laughs> been a three day lockdown. But the way people have been carrying on, you'd think it have been three weeks or something, wouldn't you? It's been pretty crazy. But thankfully, things seem to be going pretty well. And hopefully, we might be able to. Get football back here in Brisbane pretty soon.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll be completely honest here. The three-day lockdown resulted in minimal changes to my plans for most of these <laughs> days. I spent all of Saturday playing PlayStation, most of Sunday watching the NFL playoffs, and most of today watching the NFL playoffs and working. So, Sounds like my day. <laughs> yeah, actually not really not really that different to what I had in store beforehand anyway. so
2: I'm not going to start talking about the NFL this week. I will be turning this into a three-hour show.
0: Yeah, let's set about that the better, because, you know, although we should let you enjoy it while you can. Okay. <laughs> All right, so this is the Brisbane Football Review. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, email Review at gmail.com for comments, questions, discussion topics you want us to get onto. Uh, Facebook, the Raw Review, we're still working on changing that to the Brisbane Football Review. It's a long story, and there's been some other stuff going on that have taken Facebook's attention lately. Uh, then we've also got Twitter, at BNE Football on both of those social accounts you can find live coverage of every Brisbane Raw senior match, and also the NPL when that gets back up and running in a couple of months. And then also, you can listen to the podcast on Football Nation Radio, you can check out their podcast feeds, their social accounts, and all their live streaming as well. So, we're going to lead off with the W League recap, Thursday night, out, up at Redcliffe, or in Adam's case in his own little backyard it was a 1-1 draw between the Raw and Canberra United things got off to a pretty good start though didn't they Adam? Katrina Gorey with a howitzer to start things off
1: yeah that's a uh, considering that they were 180 minutes without goals good way to break the drought and uh yeah, no. Uh, Katrina Goru, She's been known over the years to score from very, very long distance, and this was um, a beauty of a goal in what was, you know, as, as we saw on the night, on very tricky conditions. As far as the way the wind was playing, um, sort of you know, on and off, sort of drizzle all night. So to get off to a fantastic start um, after
0: two scoreless uh, games was, uh, yeah, you couldn't ask for much more. It was. It was a very good way to start, and exactly what we'd been asking for in the build-up to that game, and the Raw seemed to be operating on a shoot-on-site policy.
2: Yeah, it certainly seemed like that, didn't it? It was the perfect way for the Raw to start the game for the, for the last two weeks they hadn't scored. That was the predominant discussion. We think back to our last show, James, about when will the Raw finally break their duck, and they did it very, very early in that game, and it was an absolutely wonderful strike from Katrina Gory, and we've seen it before from her, but that's that's one of her better goals, you'd have to say. Yeah, Of all uh, those long-range screamers, that was one of the better ones.
0: Definitely, and it did catch the keeper off her line as well. But it was still, you still had to be placed in that spot between the keeper's hands and the crossbar. And look, well, you got to give her credit for what was a fantastic strike. Yeah, I think Sally uh, James just
1: uh, she just slightly hesitated, and, and not not take anything away from um Trina Gara's strike up may have been the difference um, I'm not going to go I'm not going go as far as a Mark Bosnich saying oh, it was her fault but um, yeah, it's just a slight hesitation was, um, was just enough to sort of you know to, to, to sort of confuse her a little bit and in the end it went in so um, yeah great great audacious strike by Katrina Gorey.
0: It's been talked about a lot but uh, yeah we do know there is no shot that the keeper shouldn't have saved according to Mark Bosnich and also the conditions up at Redcliffe do make life quite tough for goalkeepers as we've seen.
2: It does Just quickly, just enough Mark Bosnich criticism here, or Brenton Speed's going to come on, and we're going to have a massive fight between the two of them again, but the conditions are very difficult at Dolphin, aren't they? It's, an, it's a pretty open stadium, you're right, James, and the wind in Redcliffe is much stronger being close to the sea, or the, the bay, I should say, compared to other grounds, so it certainly is a factor there, and it was a factor, the conditions were a factor on Thursday night, but I thought that even with the rain, it didn't seem like it had much of an impact, did it? Because... Yeah, the wind did in the last 10 minutes, and there was more of a factor then. but early on, I don't think it was much of a factor at that point. I just think it was a really, really good strike, and maybe a slightly ill, Ill position from the goalkeeper, but more just a good strike.
0: Definitely. Okay. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, so the Raw had their chances to go on and make it 2-0, but it was back to that same old story that we've become a little bit too familiar with, where the Dolphin Stadium woodwork did its best to secure uh, Player of the Year votes.
2: Yeah, the Dolphin Stadium woodwork is going to be in calculation for goalkeeper of the year and defense of the year if it keeps it up. It's having a huge impact in the first two games, and for both sides hitting the woodwork in the opening couple of games there. But it's just, I think what's that, four or five now times to hit the woodwork already. Yep. It's just are those goals regulation size or what? Because it just <laughs> seems like it just seems like they're not the. Way. Yeah. I know they are, but it just seems like it the way it is. It's quite uncanny the fact that the woodwork continually seems to get hit at the same ground.
0: Yeah, thanks Thanks for that, Happy Gilmore. But, uh, it, well, the one place the goals were definitely regulation size was in the 78th minute when Ma equalised. And again, we go back to talking about the conditions there. That was, A, a phenomenal strike from her, but it was also one of those uh, shots from inside the centre circle that managed to carry, I think, in large part because of the breeze, and it caught Georgina Worth out. It did,
1: yeah. And, no, look, I think people divided on uh, who to who to sort of, you know, proportion blame on. Was it, was it you know, Georgina Worth's mistake or was it a great shot from Grace Marr? And I think it was a bit of both. I think if, under normal circumstances, normal conditions, uh, yeah, I think Georgina Worth, she has that cut under control, but just with the wind gang behind it, I think she just miscalculated to the point where it got away from her and in the end it just, it, you know, it hit the back of the net. So, um, look, props to Grace Marr, who actually has, from what I've seen subsequently, has had a bit of a reputation of scoring some long, long range goals especially in NPL New South Wales this season and um, yeah look a great vision from her but I don't think you can really say that Georgina Worth you know, was completely at fault I think just again it's just one of those conditions
0: misreading the conditions a little bit and as a young keeper she'll learn from that absolutely and that is something she'll learn about but I do feel like Canberra took quite a few shots from range expecting her to be out off her line you know maybe a little bit of a Manuel Neuer situation there where she was trying to play the sweeper keeper but it did seem like that was something that Canberra was trying to target. But you're right. I, I, I feel like if the breeze wasn't at Mars back there, that wouldn't have gone in.
2: Who was in goal for that Socceroos game against Greece back in the day when they scored from inside their own half um, under range Because it seemed like that. It seemed like the instruction was for Georgina Worth to be further forward and linking up with the play, as opposed to being further back. I don't think it's a mistake on her behalf. I just thought it was a combination of the the wind blowing in that direction towards the northern end of the stadium in the second half along with what you just have to give credit to an unbelievable strike from a from a very experienced W League campaigner who's had a fantastic game on Thursday night it was a, a great strike and look, those things can happen from time to time. I don't think there's much blame to be placed on Georgina Worth there she almost got back anyway so I don't think you can say she was out of position but I just think it was it's an unbelievable strike from a really good player
0: Adam Federici is the answer to your question there Scott there you was, go. Uh, yeah, I was actually thinking it was. Yeah, I was just—I I was just I trying did, to go in my Matt Ryan, head.
2: But I couldn't think of who else it might have been.
0: Well, there we go. I remember watching that when yeah. I was living in early Beach. Anyway, um, so overall, go. I want to talk about the match just in general. And look the raw—it's that same sort of story once again. And you could tell there was plenty of frustration for Jake Goodship after the match, where he was frustrated that they continued to create chances, but still haven't got you know anyone with that sort of confidence to really take on those chances and. I was hoping Rosie Sutton coming in would make that sort of change. She led the line, I thought, fairly well for uh, the role that she had with the team. But it just turned out to be another frustrating night. And it seems like that is something that is starting to build at the Raw camp. Yeah, look, and the, funny, the funny thing is, is
1: that I think that the prime chance for Raw should have been up 2-0 was when was when um, Emily Gilnick you know, struck the crossbar with pretty much an open goal. Um... Look, they're the sort of things at the moment. Is that it, it's a side that's you know sort of a bit lacking confidence as far as in finishing goes. Everything else seems to be at the moment is, is working well. It looks great, but unfortunately, um, you don't you don't get competition points for style and you know and, and substance. You actually got to score goals. Now, that's the one thing that this raw side is missing at the moment. And you know three draws and three games. Um, while it's not a complete disaster, uh, yeah, I think I think they're their hopes, as far as the Premiership go, may be in a bit of trouble if they don't turn it around soon.
2: Yeah, we'll talk with the results in a couple of minutes, along with some of the other results around, but I do think the confidence, you can see it draining from the players as the game goes on. They come out, and they start with really good intention. James mentioned the shoot-on-site policy, but as the game seemed to go on, that chance Emily Gilnick was one of the few where they really did slice Canberra open. Other than that, it was, you could see when they got to the edge of the 18-yard box, they kind of knew what they wanted to do, but they seemed to lack more and more confidence. I do think three points of three games. I don't think it's a great start, to be honest with you, because they're already a fair way behind teams who you would consider contenders. I mean, Sydney FC—they're two wins from two, with a game in hand now, and they've got three points clear on them on, on the Raw. So, and that's the sort of team you think—if the Raw are going to challenge for the premiership, Sydney's one of the prime contenders at the moment. So you'd have to say they've got some work to do. And it's—it's—it's that- too—it's too far into the season now. It's ridiculous to say, but. Three games into the w League season, that's 25% of your games played. And that assumes we get a full season in with what's going on at the moment. So I do think the Royal need to start picking up points pretty quickly. But it's it is—it's a confidence issue, isn't it? It has to be, because the quality is there. We've seen that. It's just the confidence to be able to create that chance when you get there just doesn't seem to be there at the moment.
0: And just on two things on that as well, Scott. Like, first of all, I, I thought that second half, that frustration from not building on that lead was quite evident in the energy that the players had on the pitch like just talking to a couple of people after the game even though I that, it felt like it was a very flat effort in the second half and it, it was almost a case of they were the players were in their own heads trying to you know really force it and make things happen and you know to almost go a little bit like uh, go back a little bit to the NFL which I know we won't go too deep on but it's almost like watching a quarterback who just tries to force the passes into receivers who have three people covering them it really it really is yeah you know like a certain player for pittsburgh anyway but on that as well just seeing the players walking off after the match while we were waiting to do the uh, press conference with jake goodship you know the heads were down the frustration was there they're just not it i do wonder if they're just not sure what they've got to do they're asking themselves how can i make this happen and what do we have to do to actually get think, get what they would perceive to be a break?
1: Yeah, look, that's what I think when this side this side is built with a lot of attacking potential. Um, we also got to say that you know Tamika Tamika wasn't a starter. She she was uh, injured uh, prior, uh, from the game down in Melbourne, so she she was start. She didn't start, but still with Rosie Sutton coming into the starting lineup. But still, this is a side that's built on attack. And when you only come up with one goal, which was an absolute howitzer from you know, 35 yards out in 270 minutes of football, you, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to start questioning, you know, why is it not coming apart? I think the only good, I think, let's look to the positives. On the other hand, defensively, they're as solid as ever. Um, look, this back four of Winnie Heatley, Kim Carroll, Claire Polkinghorn, and Jim Rankin. Like, even though, again, the only goal they conceded was, you know, a forty-five-yard speculator which, you know, caught the breeze and, you know, and, and sort of stuffed up Georgina Worth. That, that's the only breach they've had this season. So, while defensively, the defensive unit should be proud of themselves that they're they're just playing, you know, lights out, you know, defence. The attacking, attacking side thing—it just would be frustrating. And you're right; you could just see it on the on the um, on the women's faces. Up, uh, back to the dressing shed after after the game, there was some real frustration. And I think there's some doubts, almost, you know, about about things at the moment. But look, there, if as, as I keep on saying, I've said week after week after week, um, look, once this clicks, it will be worth watching. But yeah, it's how they get there. The, the Jay Goodship and staff have got a lot to work on.
2: Scott? Yeah, I do think they have a fair bit to work on. But I just think defensively as well, I agree with what Adam's saying. It's just the one the one thing I think they might work on, I think Winnie Heatley needs to start pushing forward a little bit earlier. I know she's not a natural right back, and it's good to get her in there because you can see the fact that going forward, Winnie Heatley's going to be a huge part of the Brisbane Royal side. And from memory, going back a decade, I think they did the same thing with Claire Polkman. started her on the right-hand side while they had a really solid defensive pairing and then moved her back in. So I think just maybe might need to go go push forward a little bit further in terms of trying to add them into the attack, but defensively, Adams is spot on because they haven't looked like they're conceding too many chances. And you think about the other result this week, and with victory giving City a touch up, that that nil all result in Melbourne all of a sudden looks like a much better result this week than it did last week.
0: Although that being said, the nil all result with City in that first game yeah, might yes. look a little bit yeah. So look, th- actually,
1: that's and that's why I tweeted after the game is that that result. Should have been what happened a couple of Tuesdays ago, but again, for for the Raws, like a finishing. And look,
0: I'm still not. You know, it's a good thing the W League fan base is a lot more understanding than the A League fan base because I get the feeling. Otherwise, we'd be seeing 550 comments saying Jake Goodship needs to be fired. Which, you know, I'm I'm glad for his sake he's not getting that yet because I, you know, it still seems like it's a work in progress. But, we've got to be honest here. This is a side that came into the season you know, expecting to be in contention for the Premiership and uh, probably to make the Grand Final as well. And at the end of the day, I think if you asked anyone involved with the Raw, A-League, W-League, whatever, three straight draws with those performances is simply not good enough. Now, one thing that... One positive that did come out of that night as well, though, special mention has to go again to the Raw Corps, who, you know, showed up on a... What was a... Not the most pleasant night up at Redcliffe and continued to make noise and provide a little bit of atmosphere to the W-League game. So you know one positive to come out of that yeah 1079 in attendance
1: at, at um at dolphin stadium on a thursday night six o'clock kickoff um with threatening to conditions sort of all week that were scared off a lot of people no and I, and I said yeah the atmosphere assigned it felt like you no know, double or triple that so look um yeah core, call you know, yeah fingers you know, thumbs up to them for a
2: job well done yeah we've we had to spend a bit of time working with them in Season 1, James. We know how much work and effort they put into this and they've been the standard bearers in terms of active support in the W League since day one. It's good to see other teams starting to try and copy that mm. but we, in terms of expectations, all three of us had Brisbane in the top two. I think Adam and I had them winning the Premiership. James, you had them finishing second I think from memory and I do think that the, uh, it's not time to fully hit the panic button but they need to get some points pretty quickly because otherwise teams are going to start getting away from them because it's, I don't think it's just the three of us that had these expectations i think i think internally they probably thought we should be minimum top 2 here with the quality that they have i mean it's a really good squad of players they just that confidence as soon as that comes i can see them putting somebody away pretty convincingly it's just how quickly can they get it to come now the good thing is they've got a bit of time now they've obviously didn't have a game this week anyway because it was originally their bye week. I think their next game, from memory, is Newcastle or Perth or something. Whenever it ends up being, but they've got a bit of time now to work on these things and hopefully build up that confidence in training ahead of the next game.
1: Yeah, I believe I believe it's Perth on January twenty-four, but that was before the lockdown in WA declaring Greater Brisbane a hotspot. So that's all up in the air at the moment. Um, yeah. Stay Look, tuned. Yes. Yeah, I think, yes, that's true. But as, as it stands right now, um, yeah, the 24th of January is
0: the next next uh, game. Yes, well, we will report on that when the reports come out for us to report on, I suppose, because as it stands, a lot of this stuff is very much up in the air. Okay, so we're going to close out our W League recap with the press conference of Raw Coach Jake Goodship. Now, uh, we should just... Uh, give this to you with a little bit of a warning this was recorded uh, from a distance and distributed by the rule because of the COVID protocol so the sound might not be um, as good as it might normally have been under prior situations but we do thank the rule for sending out the audio. Disappointing draw tonight Jake?
3: Terrible yeah um disappointing yeah doesn't even describe it. Done enough again creating chances. We look difficult to beat you know that's a positive, but we've got to be a lot better. And there's players, certain players, again, certain positions, time and time again, they've got to be better. They've got to score goals. They've got to have higher standards themselves. Because you know, first time in City it was funny. Second time against victory, you know, a bit frustrating. But tonight. Well, I can't describe it.
2: Was that a big focus in training during the week to score more goals? Yeah,
3: definitely. And that's why we tried out, Rosie's got an opportunity as well. We changed the front three, uh, brought in the T shirt back into 10. Um, he was great again. Uh, yeah, just trying that formula. We're creating chances, just no execution, no end product.
2: I mean, defence wise, you've only conceded one goal. So that's, I guess, a part of the game that's yeah. really improved. Um, is that sort of. Is is that just something that's happened, or is that something? No, you've that's
3: what goals? we've identified last season. So last season we conceded a few goals, scored a lot. This year we came in, we did a lot of work in possession in the back front defensively, which shows. Uh, but now we've forgot how to score goals. So, you know, spending a bit much attention in one area, you forget how to score, or you look at the other end. So, you know, we're creating chances, which is positive, but we just need to just need to finish them off. Is there an easy answer to that? Repetition, repetition, working hard, and hopefully players having that mentality now that are devastated. Um, you saw polks at the end on her knees, so it will come. Uh, Emily's hundredth game today. Um, were you impressed with how she performed, and is it good to have her back in the,
2: in the
3: squad? Yeah, look, she's fantastic. Around having the squad, she's a really good person. She's positive. She's an unbelievable role model and leader. But I think tonight her performance needs to be a lot better. Um, fantastic hundredth game. I think. she's got another nine or so or to get another 100 for raw so she's not far off from 100 for games for us so yeah she wouldn't get that many games if she wasn't a good player yeah Um, she's been for a lot in the last 24 36 hours personally Um, so that meant a lot for when she scored and a celebration coming over and yeah it was really good
2: we saw Luke Chance come in late in the game. How far away is she potentially
3: starting again and having a big game? Yeah, on the hopefully team? you can see her leg heavily strapped. Um, we're trying to get her back in. We're trying to not rush her in, but you know, you saw glimpses tonight. A ball through to him at the end and a tenacity out of possession to win it back. She saw a little glimpses there, so hopefully not too far off. We've got two weeks off now, so expecting to make it back for
2: that game
3: as well, perhaps. You're no, not sure. Yes. <laughs> um, we don't know. Um, Maybe the first game against Perth, maybe the second. Uh,
2: yeah. Maybe one more. Yep. Conditions wise, tonight is a bit yeah. wet, a bit windy. Does that make it more difficult um,
3: for the girls to go out there and put a um, solid performance in? I, I thought we dealt with it. No, I thought we were alright with, with the conditions. It's their goal obviously caught, caught us out. I don't think Georgie Worth was at fault whatsoever. I thought her position was good. The wind did carry it a little bit, but we've got to be better centrally. There's a big gap there that we left to allow that to happen. So, other than that, I thought we dealt with their threats and the conditions really well.
0: And when it comes to team selection, how do you try and balance just putting your best eleven players out on the park and fitting players into their most uh, suited roles?
3: Yeah, so, basically performance based at training as well. Uh, Leticia McKenna has been, I keep bringing her up, but she's been really good. She's a real good young player, she does everything right for us in training and games and she just needs to again getting positions to do little things a little bit more positive. But yeah, basically performance and training is a real competition for spots. So yeah.
0: Okay, and that was Jake Goodship. Thanks once again to The Raw for sending that press conference out. Um, Obviously, we're kind of making do with what we can at the moment. And that's also why we're recording this over Skype on a Monday afternoon instead of our usual Wednesday evening slot. But we're very pleased to have you listening to us anyway. Now, we will touch quickly on what's going on with the A-League squad as it stands, uh, they should have played Melbourne Victory in uh, Raw vs. Victory Part 2. This time it's at Redcliffe uh, yesterday afternoon as we're talking, but because of the lockdown in Brisbane, that match has been postponed to a date to be confirmed. Although based on reports out of, I believe, the Sydney or Melbourne press, Adam? Uh, the age of Melbourne. There it is. Thank you. Uh, based on a report out of the age, it sounds like that match could very well be getting... Uh, played this coming Friday night, the 15th of January, up at Dolphin Stadium in front of what I assume would be a reduced capacity.
1: Yeah, 50% capacity in line with the um, the current restrictions. But, yeah, again, I think it's a case of let's just wait and, and see until uh, either Brisbane Roar or the APL um, actually announce it officially that it'll be this Friday. But, um, yeah, that, that was the um, reports that, that came out of Melbourne when Grant Bradbury was asked about... Uh, about the postponement and whatnot, so so yeah, let's uh, stay tuned to that.
0: I did just check the emails; nothing as yet.
2: Oh, well, there you go. But uh, so it seems like Victory want this game to be played as soon as possible, which I think actually would have actually kind of helps them a bit. They've had the extra week now to kind of get more more preparation in mind. I think it, it's a bit of a blow actually for the Lord to not get this game away as scheduled on Sunday because they had the momentum against the Victory and they pretty much had them on the ropes. Now they might be back closer to full strength more minutes and and a bit more fitness in the legs of their players so I think it might help them but do we actually know how long this this 50% capacity rule is in place for I know we're supposed to be wearing masks for a certain period of time but I haven't seen how long that could that might that rule might be enforced for so if the Raw are away this weekend for example somewhere which is possibly unlikely maybe it might be back in force 100% for the next game because we know what a great atmosphere is up there at Dolphin Stadium and to have that at fifty percent, it's completely understandable, but it would be, it would be a blow because the atmosphere has been really important the first couple of games.
1: Yeah, look, I think it's part. I think it might be. Uh, I don't know the mask rule is, the the mandatory mask rule, at least in its form. I think it's going to be reviewed on twenty second of January. So, I got, got a feeling it's part. It's part of that yeah. trench. You'd of expect it to be at least
2: enforced so until the twenty second then.
1: Yeah. So, but um. It also begs a question about the raw Raw's game um, that was announced recently against Newcastle in Newcastle on the 20th of January. So I'm not sure. Again, um, I think that one may go ahead because I don't think uh, New South Wales government declared uh, the declared Greater Brisbane a hotspot. So I think I think that game may may go ahead as proceeding. But uh, yeah, but in the meantime, we we don't know about this uh, the victory game, which again as I said, was. Was reported in the media of Melbourne as being proposed for this Friday, but again, we'll see uh, official announcements.
0: Yep, and that's pretty much all we have to offer on the Raw's A League game. So, Scott?
2: I was just going to, this all seems to be heading like we're heading towards a hub at the end of the season, doesn't it? Because there's a lot of catch up games to be played now, and if that continues, perhaps they might need a two or a three week hub at the end of the season just to get all these games caught up. Because it just seems like there's going to be a lot of games that haven't been played which need to be caught up at some point. I mean, Perth haven't played a game yet. They're not going to play one for at least another two weeks. So it just seems like it's heading in that direction at some point for a, who knows how long.
0: Yeah, I, I think we it may either wind up being a hub or what I think is going to happen is we're just going to have to suck it up and deal with midweek football up at Redcliffe once or twice. I,
2: I'll take I, you to just I... play all these games in a central location, James. There's 10 games to be played or something and we'll just play them all in a particular location in a 10-day span, or something like that, so just to get them all done. Because it's got to be done by June 30, so it's uh, or July or whatever it is. So there's a, there's a pretty strong time constraint there.
0: Yeah, well, like I said, play them all up at Redcliffe.
1: Yeah, look, I also think as well that, you know, you've got, you've got games at the moment that have been postponed, as is because of... Um, of sort of border closures and whatnot, but we've also got to bear in mind as well that uh, Melbourne City, Sydney FC and Brisbane Roar have also got Champions League that they may have to worry about as far as postponing their games. Um, the latest that we heard in uh, unofficially was that that's been pushed back now to the end of March, but um, apparently there might, be, there might be some news later in the week about what the AFC will do about that. So, um, again... Uh, you, Again, especially with if the international borders are closed, it would be interesting what that could do to the season. So there's there's a lot of uncertainty. So I agree with you boys that you no, know, but perhaps a hub or you know, like a lot of midweek football. Try and get this um, this season done. I think I think it's it's becoming more and more real by the day. I just think I just think yeah, the whole uh, playing five, you know, playing six games in a week. In a weekend um, it just doesn't seem to be happening at the moment because of a multitude of um, issues regular
2: season only James I'm not talking about for finals just to catch up these regular season games
0: yeah okay that I can get that I can get a little bit more on board with or um, like we had a like we would, uh, had seen with the raw uh, when they played victory in 2015 April 2015 when they had to play them on a Wednesday Saturday I would not be surprised if you wind up seeing that happen um, towards the back end of the season. Uh, other games this weekend, Wanderers 2-1 over Newcastle in Carl Robinson's return to the Hunter after his, you know, wonderful, lengthy
2: three-month
0: stint with the club.
3: Was
2: it that like long? That. I I don't know. I, I've it lost. felt like uh, about three games, didn't it? Something like that.
1: So, something like that. I think it was about six months, but I think it was only about eight games. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so,
0: yeah, bro. Yeah, no, but he, uh, yeah, he victorious on his return. Yep, and uh, Scott, I'm going to have to mute you just for this discussion. Please
2: um, do, I'll gladly be muted.
0: Okay, uh, I'll get my Tony Reale button now. Uh MacArthur won, Wellington Phoenix won. That red card was ridiculous. I do not know what they were looking at. Okay, moving on. Um, this is now where we would officially be calling it Part 3, and we're going to talk about what is probably the biggest news story to come out in the last five days since we recorded the transfer white paper. Now, Adam, I don't mean to throw you under the bus here, but you're the only one out of us that has read this cover to cover, so why don't you lead this discussion?
1: Yeah, um, look, I think first first things first on that is that, um, look, there's a lot of, um, I guess, uh, it it sort of highlights a lot of what's been sort of, you know, wrong, I guess, almost with Australian football, a lot of lost opportunities. Like, some of the figures were absolutely startling about, about sort of, I guess, Australia's sort of, you know, I guess, you know, footprint on, you know, the, the global football market. I think it comes down to the fact is that there were $7 billion in transfer fees that were paid out across the year, but only $1.9 million came from Australia. So that that puts them on par with some of like the, the you know, some of the third third world uh, sort of countries as far as that. So that's one thing that, you now despite, you know, the A-League, well, we, we all agree it's not, you know, top tier it's certainly not that far down the list so so yeah that, it sort of um, did highlight but I think obviously the domestic transfer system uh, that's something that, that needs to come in uh, but also as well a lot of this also has to do with sort of aligning with what FIFA d- does and there's a, a lot. there's been a lot of behind the scenes sort of uh, sort of, you know uh, reform there especially with Servio sort of, you know, with player agents and whatnot that, that needs to be
0: sort of sorted before a lot of this sort of happens. For me, the big thing that I just keep looking at when it comes to this sort of necessary transfer uh, system implementation is I really hope it just gets rid of the players kicking up a stink when they just decide that they're not happy at a club anymore and saying, no, I want to release. I'm going to go play for X, Y, Z. Now, you will get a few people pulling a Cesc Fabregas and saying, oh, I'm done, I want out. But at the very least, they they're going to the club's then going to be able to say, all right, you want out, give us like, you you want to go to Western Sydney Wanderers to play with Carl Robinson, fine, you can go for 150k or whatever. And the other thing as well, I look at a club like Central Coast, it seems like they were a little bit ahead of their time when, you know, they said, alright, we're going to go young, we're going to try and bring up a lot of these promising youthful prospects, but what benefit has that given them? Like, they've struggled on the pitch, they haven't been able to get the results that they want but at least this way they can say you know alright well when you decide that you do want to go on to Sydney FC because then alright we're going to at least get something from it.
2: Well they were ahead of the curve because they had put some um, future clauses in contracts of some players who've gone on to play overseas I think they're still cashing in on the Matt Ryan transfer now so there's three, there's three really big reasons why this is important James and I'll start from our lowest level of football and go all the way up. You've got the MPL clubs who feel like their best players are cherry-picked for essentially nothing. They put a lot of time, effort, and years and resources into developing a player, and that player moves on to professional ranks in this country for, I think it's a three thousand dollars nominal fee. If, if that's even if that rule still exists. So there's that one. Then you've got the A League, A League player, A League clubs. Which you mentioned James. You've got this mutual termination stuff, which is an absolute joke. This should put an end to that. So the example you gave of Ugarkovic, if he wants to go to the Wanderers, okay, well you can pay for him then. That's uh, a that, simple. One. That
0: was more than Ugarkovic.
2: It wasn't. That's the one that still hasn't been resolved. And the third one is players going overseas because overseas clubs have absolutely pillaged the Australian football system for peanuts for a long time. You think about some of the players who have moved and players who have been rumoured to be moving and the fees that you hear associated with that, that can't be right. If you've got a young player, 18, 19, 20, who's a youth international, break, broken into the first team and performing well, if you've got that... If that's a Belgian player in a Belgian first team, that player is not move, being linked with a $500,000 move to a Europe to a club. They're, that's a two, three, four, maybe even more five to ten million dollar move, depending on the player and the, which clubs are interested. So that's the, that's another. Thing. That's why this is so important because it's going to start forcing clubs to get better value in the transfer market and actually pay when they move. Look down towards the MP level. I think it's across the board. It's something that everyone's been pushing for for a very long period of time, and thankfully. It seems like it's finally on the brink of happening.
1: Well, the one, um, the w- just to answer sort of reading the white paper that will at least sort of alleviate as far as the young players goes. And I think the, the overall theme on that is you know looking after the youth, youth development. And the one thing that where we're just talking domestically, I think internationally is is a, is a much different issue. But domestically, the biggest issue that seems to be is that. That clubs don't have the incentive at the grassroots level, be it state league, be it MPL, to invest in young players because they're getting they're basically the professional leagues come along, professional clubs come along and cherry pick, be it through their academies or in the past just you know offering contracts and whatnot um, to take it. So the the training rewards program basically means that from from the a player's twelfth birthday to their twenty third birthday. Basically, they are subject to a, that that club is subject to a, there's two, there's a, what they call a training, a training uh, comp- compensation fee, as well as a solidarity, um, sorry, I'm just trying to read my writing, a solidarity contribution fee, uh, which basically, just in a nutshell, uh, for, for the uh, tra- training compensation fee, any, from a state league club to a pro club, is $5,000 the, from an MPL, from MPL to MPL club, which, you know, that may cross state or within, within a state is 6000 From an MPL to a pro club is, um, is $10,000. And that, and then that's, then that's also as well, every time that player moves on, that, that, that those, um, those fees are paid out. So up to 10000 up to $10,000 up until the 23rd birthday. So that's, Sort of goes in a way to at least rectifying the situation and incentivising clubs to at least put more investment into their their youth youth systems.
2: So basically, if you if you've got a if the, I'll take your local club out of Morton Moreton Bay, so if they've got a young player at any point from twelve to twenty three, if the Royal decide they want to sign him, they're they're required to pay that fee because that's 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 well, completely they... different to what we have. Okay, currently. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you some I real world like examples. Rule. I, like, I um, like that. Like
1: Isaac, Isaac Powell, and Joey Champness, the two players that are Morton Bay products that have gone on to play the A League. So that, that's already that would be um, at least, you know, at least $10, twenty thousand dollars that Morton Bay United have missed out on because of um, because of a sort of system that wasn't in existence. So, and twenty thousand dollars for a club like Morton Bay is, you know, that, that's a decent amount of money for
2: important for money for the NPL club. Yeah.
0: Is, is that why they decided to keep a hold of Jackson Courtney Perkins for another season? Uh, <laughs> that's a good
1: question. Um, well, we do know he did trial for Central Coast Mariners so they did try to, but uh, he's not, he may not, according to Royce Brownley, he's not the complete article
0: just yet. Jeez, I'd hate to see him when he's the complete article then. Well, cause he... yeah, exactly. No, I think he's going to be worth more than 10,000, 10, that's for sure. That's it and just I'm trying to think back on some of the raw examples as well. Like we remember, like how stunned. Well, and I, re- I remember how stunned I was in 2010 when they went went up selling, selling or and Zulo over to Utrecht for I
2: think it's like combo- 1.7 million. That's what I was referring to, Jeff. Yeah. Tommy Orr was the big chunk of that. He was worth over a million in their mind, so they're paying next to nothing for Sorada and Zulo. That's the sort of stuff that's got to stop. You want better, more appropriate fees for players like that.
0: Yeah, that's it, and hopefully it will be something like the, the one story I'm still desperate to get to the bottom of as well is that Adam Taggart reported transfer fee as well but hopefully that does mean like that does mean these plays when they do sign for an A-league club they don't get the clauses in their contract saying oh if a club if a you know league xyz comes and offers for me overseas you have to release me for no fee hopefully that's one thing I want to see an end from, from a player's perspective, because then it does empower the clubs to negotiate fair market value. i
2: was just gonna, so Adam, if so, if the Raw did sign a, a young twelve-year-old kid for their academy, they 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 also have to pay for that because that's also something that I know a lot of teams around the local league have been really frustrated by the fact that their best young talent is just taken away from them for nothing and then used against them.
1: Yeah, well, look, if if you read it, um, if you yeah, according to the white paper, yes, uh, yes, they would even. From their twelfth birthday to twenty-third birthday, if if they have played for a local club, be it a grassroots club, a stately club, or an MPL club, yeah, there there is um, and then they they make money off them by they get they yeah. they they get sold on two-way either another you know another domestic club or you know international club, yeah, that that's how a clubs entitled to payment. Um, and the good thing is that the FFA are going to the uh, Football Australia, one of their Things they go. This is not a APL thing. This is a Football Australia thing. They're the ones that are going to be administrating this. Um, the, these transfers. Um, so, so yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't think as much uh, if, if this is implemented, which I think is a, is a very very good idea because at the end of the day. It, prosperity should you know, trickle right through not just you know just the professional clubs that prosperity needs to come right down to the bottom it sounds very socialist and whatnot but i think it's important that you know regulated right that everyone gets a piece of the pie which has not been happening in australia but we see it happen all over the world you know that you know that, that you know prosperity is not just you know in the top leagues that you, know, at, least, you know, at least enough to
0: pay the bills and that ideally would be something that would i would hope mend some of the fences between you know, the A-League clubs and the local state league ones as well because go around 20 NPL ground and, you know, if you mention the Raw, you'll, you've will you got a, at the very least a 50-50 shot of being met with a death stare because, you know, the A-League clubs, you know, have on occasion maybe not treated the NPL clubs as well as they feel they uh, might deserve to be treated and hopefully that sort of transfer system, you know, would go a long way to mending some of those fences.
2: Yeah, that's where I was going with it, James. I mean, yes you want the players to move to the Brisbane Roar because they obviously have a tremendous opportunity? If you find yourself in that Roar Academy, you're going to get really good coaching and have a have a good shot of having a pathway right through the professional game. But you're right; you, you go to certain grounds in the NPL, and you it's almost like don't mention the Roar because if you do, you're going to be you're going to get a five minute rant about how we lost X, Y, and Z to them and we got nothing for it. And I'm glad to see that that this is going to be changing because you talk about incentive to. To develop players, that's the one of the primary. That's the one of the best incentives you're going to find is to be remunerated for it.
1: Yeah, but that, and that's what it comes down to is the investment. You know, for these local clubs, who know they probably. You know, if if, the, if these players turn out as good as they as they you know want to be or they dream to be, there's no way that local club are going to hold on to them. So they've got to at least be. They've got to be rewarded for their time. You know, in developing these players, and that's probably what has caused a lot of the sort of you know, I guess the you know, dilution of talent in, you know, this generation is because there's been no incentive because the A-League clubs have just basically been allowed to pillage um, the best talent. But the point I was going to make as well about the reforms also as well is that it's also up to the FA to, you know you know, a lot of these principles also enforce them, like, you know, ensuring that you don't have these ridiculous mutual terminations or, you know, or that, you know, that they're not, that, they, that these young players, this goes for loans, this goes for transfers, that, that you know, that contracts are being honoured, you know, they're not, they're not just being let run, run out and then, you know, being tapped up and whatnot, as, as, they, as they say in the UK and in, in Europe, you know, that, they, that these, these actual rules are enforced. I think that'll be the most important thing.
0: Yep, definitely. Okay, now, Adam, I'm going to go back to you on this as well and just say, okay, we do know, we have spoken about the possible benefits for it. What are some of the issues that have come out of uh, this white paper so far that maybe, you know, what constructive criticism would you give it?
1: Uh, look, I think, in, in a way, I think it doesn't um, It doesn't go far enough, I think, as far as it doesn't solve uh, the issues as far as the international side of things, as, as Scott alluded to before, that I think... I say that only because the challenge is that the one thing that Australia needs to become it does not have a transfer culture, and that's something that's not going to happen overnight. And unfortunately, that's something that you know then when you get when you step onto the international stage, where transfer money is almost the lifeblood of the football economy, um, without that sort of now and sort of way of navigating it, um, yeah, it's you you're going to you're still going to see continually where players that we believe that you know are going to be you know. High-class, you know, European professionals again let go for very, very, for a lot less money they should. But um, a lot of it also, as well, comes down to how FIFA reform their systems. Um, there's talk of a FIFA clearinghouse that was supposed to, that was supposed, that's supposed to basically be the authority to, to enact a lot of these uh, transactions, you know, between, you know, clubs and whatnot. And um, yeah, until that sort of go you know, comes in as in full effect, they they're supposed to happen um, uh, mid mid. Uh, Mid two thousand twenty, but obviously with the pandemic, that's sort of been put on hold. But it's supposed to come online the next couple of months. But that's basically a, a platform that they need. That they need to get, um, I guess, implemented, and then um, yeah, from there, the, the Australia will then implement their own um, a sort of a, a version. That's a, that's sort of better than the play football platform.
2: Yeah, well, we haven't had that economy for a very, very long time, if ever. So it's hard to it's hard to have that economy running really well if you haven't got it. It's hard to understand it in terms of the footballing culture in this country. If you've, if you've never haven't got it, I mean every other code in this country, player movement is just literally out of contract, signed somewhere else. I think one Even code has it. Yeah, and one code has a trade system which I don't quite understand. But in general, it's just players out of contract, you leave. There's no, there's no transfer system in this country. I don't think there's an education process there that needs to happen, but. I, I can't blame people for not understanding it, given we've never had it before. But we really need it. That's the, mo- it, it, the game. administrator really does need it because there is a lot of money that you just miss out on moving around because of it.
1: Well, just one quick point as well about you know you talk about other codes as as well. You take the other two big codes. Is that you know the the AFL has the draft and you know, and, and we we all follow American pro sports and the AFL draft is nothing. Is not even a pale comparison to what we know in American pro sports, whereas the draft in the NRL is actually it's a, it's illegal. Um, you can thank Phil Gould for that, um, you know, almost almost 40 years ago for that. So, so yeah, um, so having this system and so this this culture of transfer and paying money for for players, yo, know, to you know, from signing from one from one contract to another because a lot of a lot of the transfer system in the past was actually governed by Australian industrial relations law, not not football law. That that's sort a of change with the Bosman transfer rules and whatnot. But overall, there there is no culture as far as the whole concept of oh a, Club A paid Club B a million dollars to to garner the um the services of that player. It's almost unheard of in this country. And I think and this is where we can't get the same um, attitudes we do to finals football and say, oh, it's an Australian thing, so we just won't bother. You can't afford that. The, the Australian football needs to be able to
0: enact this. And that's why I think this white paper is so important to the game and its future, future survival. And on that as well, and uh, as I mentioned at the start, that's surely where a lot of these clubs are going to be relying on in the long term when it comes to, uh, I suppose, for all intents and purposes, surviving. Because you look at, like, the way the Mariners have gone... Okay, maybe they haven't got too many players that you'd want to go and pay big money for. But you also take a look at the Raw. Obviously, we know finances have been an issue for them in the past. But, like, consider, you know, you're able to go and sell a Jordan Courtney Perkins, you know, over to a Championship or League One club in England. Say you're able to go and, you know, sell Isaac Powell over to a Belgian club or something... All of a sudden, those debts that, you know, you might, that shortfall you might be experiencing from, you know, if they ever eventually have to move back to playing at Suncorp, that's how you offset that. Like, that's something that surely these clubs have to be considering, especially when it comes to the unbundling.
2: We think about Central West Mariners, again, if they didn't get their tr- future transfer fees from Tom Rogic and Matt Ryan, where would they be right now? Because they've got plenty of money Canberra. out of those, probably Canberra, you're right, but they, they've got so much money out of those two deals alone that's probably kept them afloat over the last few years. Melbourne City is well, you think back to Melbourne City have probably covered themselves with the Aaron Moy situation alone. along And that doesn't even consider what they might get in terms of future fees for Daniel Arzani. So those two things alone have probably covered Melbourne City and Central Coast Mariners. And I think that is the future. We're never going to keep our best players in this country. That's completely unrealistic. Our best 50 players or whatever are going to be abroad, male and female. That's just something... We're going to have to accept, and I think that's perfectly fine if the clubs start to receive real compensation for it.
1: Yeah, and that's the one thing, as well, is that look in. Though we always say about how we compare, especially, especially going in when you know, in two years' time, we're going to be going head to head with the NRL and AFL, and it all comes down to the financial stability of the competition. Um, look, AFL and NRL—they've got billion-dollar TV rights, they've got you know massive you know gate receipts, so they're always going to be they're always going be fine financially. But the thing is, is that when you don't have those two things for if football for the A-League in this country. There needs to be another revenue stream for clubs to be able to survive, and if it means selling players, especially not only just selling them to other clubs and whatnot, but even overseas, and then getting some return, that might be that be, might be the only way that they can actually be able to you know make a profit. Because unfortunately, the economics that, that are similar to AFL and NRL, let, let's face it, we're we're 20, 30 years away from that becoming a reality, where you know TV rights and. TV rights and, you know, and gate receipts alone is going to be enough to make this, this sport sustainable.
0: Well, and that is that is something uh, that will hopefully be sooner than 20 or 30 years, but, you know, dare to, dare to dream and all that. Be, being conservative. Yes. <laughs> On that as well, I kind of look at it as... It, this could also help player recruitment in the end uh, as well, because... Okay, say you know the raw, and this is one thing that hopefully the raw's investment in their academy over the last three, four, five years is really going to pay dividends. Like, say you wind up going and selling, you know, the aforementioned Courtney Perkins, um, and then you know Alex Parsons, who seems to be you know a very popular option for Warren Moon coming off the bench. Say, in three, four years, you can go and sell him for a sec- seven-figure sum. What's stopping you from going and offering you know five hundred k to bring at that stage, you know a like Daniel Arzani back home if his career hasn't quite gone the way you would hope it would. It does allow you to you know possibly open up your recruitment as well and you know who knows what's going to happen with the salary cap but if we are still in a situation where you know you're relying on your marquee players and whatnot, what's to stop you going and saying all right well we've just made three million dollars in player sales you know over the past 12 month months. let's go uh, offer two of that to you know Socerroo X and bring them back home.
2: Well, I can't even think of one A-League club paying a transfer. I think it was Melbourne Victory for Carlos Hernandez almost 15 years ago. That's the only one that I can possibly think of. But, James, to your point, I mean, you look at young Harry Talbot, for example. He's come through the Royal Academy. If he goes and pushes on, they might be able to sell him and cover the costs of the entire Academy in one hit. So I think both those things are true. You can certainly do that, and I don't see why A-League teams, if they start getting money in for players, why can't they then go and... Spend that money for players, and not just at the NPL level, but bring players home like an Azani or anybody else for that matter. I think that's something that should be, that probably is going to be something that teams might be more reticent to do. But I don't see why they would, be, why they should be.
0: And just on that as well, I'm not hoping Daniel Azani's career goes down the toilet. In fact, if he's in the position where he has to come back to the A League in three or four years, I am going to be very, very disappointed in him.
1: Yeah, exactly. But um yeah that's that's what it comes down to as well is that you know it's it's the whole economy that's the one thing that i that unless i, I skimmed over it um that wasn't mentioned too much is about the abolition of the salary cap but that's that's one thing in which doesn't to me doesn't make much sense because i don't like if you're going to have a free and open economy as far as you know you that to, to make money to make money you know you gotta sell players or whatnot well you, you can't have those sort of restrictions. So that's one thing that now, I may need to reread again. And see, but I didn't—I certainly didn't read the word abolition of salary caps. So that—that uh, to me concerns me a little bit.
2: If the cap stays or the cap goes, one thing that has to be taken over is transfer fees. They can't stay in the cap. If it's if mm. the cap, salary cap's going yeah. to exist, you can no longer include transfer fees in it. That's just not going to—that'll just set the whole thing back because it'll be pointless. Because teams then won't be able to spend the transfer fees on players because it'll count against the cap. So Look, then that, suppose then, so that has to go out of the cap one way or the other.
1: I was going to say, as far as the literal meaning of the word salary or, or you know wage, I suppose at the end of the day, the cap limits what you actually pay a player, um, you know, what, to actually play for that club. Whereas I suppose the transfer fee is outside of that. You know, it's to obtain their services. So even if you pay you know someone a million dollars, as long as you don't you don't then try and pay them another million dollars, which is you know 50% of the cap or whatever is at the moment, then um, yeah. So I think that might be that might be where that's not mentioned because. In the end, wages are wages. You know, you've know, still got to get 25 players minus your concessions um, you know, under that $2.5 cap
2: or wherever it is. Exactly. You can't pay a $1 million to bring an Arzania or somebody home and then pay him a wage equivalent to that. It just wouldn't work. So that's got to yeah. go.
0: There we go. Okay. Before we wrap up, the, uh, whoever had uh, match week number three for the Roarers, the first time I would forget to do this during the recap. Um, uh, whose turn is it for the W League 3-2-1 vote? Scott?
2: Yep. Here's mine. I'm glad you forgot it because I almost forgot it as well. But three votes for me was Katrina Gore. I thought she was the best player on the park on Thursday night. The goal was outstanding, so was her work in general play. Two, Letitia McKenna. Her energy and work rate's really good. It just it's not quite translating into goals at the moment, but I think she's having a really, really big impact on this side. And I gave one vote to Jamila Rankin. Another really good performance from a young player who's growing into her own at W-League level.
0: Okay, there we go. Okay, now we've got everything we need to do
2: uh, covered. Um, I suppose what lies ahead,
0: it's just a bit of a case of wait and see. And we'll find out eventually uh, when the Raw, hopefully, announce their next fixture. Because uh, talking to a couple of people from the club on um, Thursday night, it's not fun having only being able to plan you know three, four days in advance. And I, I don't envy them being in that position.
2: No, they weren't sure what was going to be happening this weekend one way or the other. And that was before what happened on Friday with the announcement of a lockdown for 72 hours. So I think it's fair to say that nobody knows at the moment when they're going to be playing next. And I'd imagine that includes the FA or the APL or whoever it is is going to make this decision. I imagine they're probably going to be having discussions around that about now of what this weekend looks like. So stay tuned, but we can't give you anything on it at the moment.
0: That's it. And of course, we're going to wrap up recording in the next 90, 120 seconds or so. I expect the uh, fixture update to come out in about 180 seconds. Just the way things work here on the Brisbane Football Review. So with that in mind, that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Adam. Yep, thanks,
2: boys. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, James. Thank you, Adam. I'm just checking. Nope, nothing at the moment.
0: Okay, stay tuned in about five minutes then. Thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been an interesting weekend. A whole lot of TV watching, but I suppose there's nothing too bad about that. We'll be back with another... Probably Skype recorded edition of the Brisbane Football Review next week at some stage. Until then, enjoy whatever football you can find, and we'll talk to you later.